it's almost counterintuitive. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, no, I feel it, like it's accessible. You throw that big mileage up on the wall and it feels like it's an impossible feat, but it yeah. actually, if you understand it, it's more accessible than a hundred miler. There's very, I mean, I believe there's not a whole lot of room for error in a hundred miler. You go, you put yourself negative in the hurt locker in dehydration or mental state or, you know, a sprained ankle or, you know, whatever. In a hundred miler, the race is over. In a 200 miler, you have all the time in the world. Yeah, I mean, you have five days. In if case you decide you're just going to keep moving, if you're shuffling, if you just decide I'm going to keep moving, you'll you'll get there. And I mean, there's something really beautiful there, you know. Just don't give up. Don't ever give up, and you complete this amazing thing. All right, you just heard Stephen Adderholt there, today's guest on this first episode of the Meaning of Movement podcast, waxing on the virtues of going long, specifically longer than 100 miles, something approaching 200, 250, maybe even a multi-month through hike. Um, Steve's got a lot of awesome stories. He's an adventurer, a race director, a creator, uh, he's a really good dude. He is the race director for the Coca Dona 250 uh, foot race that starts actually this coming Monday, May 2nd. Uh, it runs 250 plus miles through Arizona. This is our solo events, and uh, it's an Era Viper running event, a really cool event. I'm actually going to head out there tomorrow to help him out with it a little bit. Steve's also the co creator of Ragnar Trail. Uh, an overnight team relay uh, running event, run on trails, where you and seven team members camp for a couple nights and run a bunch of trails. It's an amazing experience. Uh, each member runs in total between 15 and 17 miles, super accessible for a lot of different people. And uh, he was the co-creator for that. I actually worked with him for a little bit, uh, a few years as a race director for him. Um, and also in this episode, we touch on his relationship to movements, um, throughout his life from childhood into adulthood. We touch on a bunch of different racing aspects, some adventures we've had together. He's a close friend. So, um, <laughs> I get pretty amped up in this episode and excited being that it's the first one. But before we get into that, um, a couple more things about Steve. He currently lives the van life. He lives in a really cool built out van that he built out. He spends part of his year in Utah. Uh, part of it in Arizona. Uh, he actually built out a few more vans this past winter. Uh, one of them is yet for sale. It's an amazing van. Um, I helped on it a little bit, actually, but he does really good work. He's a mechanical engineer by trade in terms of his degree, and he is uh, to the T specific, so he does good work. I'll put the link to that van in the show notes. Um, I'll also link the Cocodona 250 race, uh, Ragnar Trail, um, and a couple other things we touch base on as well. So, But before we get into that conversation, let me take a moment to introduce myself and the idea behind the meaning of movement. Um, I'm Alex Docta. I am the host of this podcast, and the Meaning of Movement is really a project for me to continue to explore uh, 
movement, something that I've been connected to, and we all have for most of our lives. Um, I grew up uh, very active. I've had periods of inactivity, but for the most part, I really have been blessed to be, um, you know, to meet the friends I've met and to grow up in the family I've grown up in. Nothing comes without its hardships, but I grew up running, swimming, hiking, hunting, fishing, kayaking, figure skating, inline skating. I grew up very active, and from a young age, I realized that it was something that was integral to my mental health, and it stayed with me. Uh, When I was in college, I, I worked summers in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness up in northern Minnesota, right on the border of Ontario. Um, My wife and I through hiked the Appalachian Trail in 2013. Uh, I'm a certified arborist by trade. That was kind of my first career. I'm a yoga instructor. I teach cross-country ski coach. uh, I coach cross-country skiing. And um, I'm also still a race director. So I've oriented my life around the outdoors, but the reason behind that is the passion I have for connecting with the outdoors and the natural world and its beings. And just as important, it is the way that movement and the outdoors connects with me mentally. Um, the the ease and the calm that it, it you know, puts me into. It eases my anxiety. You know, I have this idea that um, through movement, I find stillness. And uh, I do, and I, I really think so many others do as well. Um, through my journey, I've met a lot of really interesting, really cool, genuine people that have great stories. And the Meaning of Movement podcast is about exploring other people's connection with movement, digging into what it means to them. I'm going to do that by going back and visiting with some of my good friends, the people I've been fortunate enough to meet throughout my life. There's also going to be a lot of people I haven't yet met that I'm really excited about. And we're looking for all different types of movers. Uh, You know, I'm talking elite athletes to the amateur, uh, yogis to the wrestlers, gardeners, um, any sport, physical laborers, all of these things um, have one thing in common. You know, they have the virtue of movement and they're all different types of movement and everybody's relation to it is a bit different. And so for me, I, I really want to explore um, other people's journeys, what movement's done for them, what they found through it, um, hardships they've encountered, um, if movements helped them through those hardships, uh, the ins and outs of the whys. And, you know, another thing that I see out there, which I like, I, I consume a lot of this content, um, but a lot of it is performance-based. And I'm really looking for fulfillment-based movement. I really want to dig into the whys, the hows, and the what it does for the individuals that are doing this type of movement over just the success that comes, you know, from being a good athlete. Um, and those two are linked sometimes. I, I battle with that myself. Uh, I'm, I'm an ultra runner myself. I'm 
currently training for UTMB. It's a 105-mile race uh, around uh, Mont Blanc. Uh, starts in Chamonix, France. Traverses a little bit of Italy and Switzerland. Uh, and it's an epic journey that's a race. And uh, performance is tied to it a little bit for me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fast runner, I guess. But, you know, if I, it, what I'm interested in with these guests is if I peel back why I do it, it's not for the performance. You know, for me, it's a lot deeper. It's that connection with nature, that reduction in anxiety, um, the deepening of my understanding of the world around us. And so for me, I want to start digging in with people and hearing their stories. And what I think that's going to bring to all of us, stories of inspiration, little glimmers and nuggets of truths that resonate with different people, something we can grab onto and go, oh yeah, that's that's what it's about. That's what that's what I have now, or that's what I used to have. And, oh man, I'm glad this person reminded me of it. I'm going to get back on it because that is actually important to me. Um, so that's the goal with the meaning of movement is just to get out and move with people, sit down with them, listen to their stories, and uh, provide a platform and a place where people can kind of hear those stories hear those stories that, again, reflect a little more um, towards the fulfillment side. So we're going to have performance in there, too. And and with our first guest, Steve Adderholt, here, we we talk races the whole time because we've worked as race directors together. Uh, but there's a lot of fulfillment in those types of events. And without further ado, um, here's my good friend, Stephen Adderholt, kicking off the first episode of the Meaning of Movement podcast. Okay, here we are. Uh, the Meaning of Movement podcast. And my good friend and I, Steve Adderholt, is joining me as the first guest of this podcast ever today. We just got done moving around ourselves, and we just listened to a little beta intro on whatever this thing is becoming. So without further ado, I guess let's get into it. Um, my good friend here today, Stephen Adderholt, uh, and we're going to talk about, you know, what movement means to us and uh, a little bit of our inspirations and just kick some stuff around. A little bit about Steve. You want to say hi quick? Hi quick. <laughs> he's a race director. Uh, he's an ultra runner. He's a co-creator of the Ragnar Trail format, an outdoors enthusiast. And the things that mean the most to me is uh, this guy is really a premier builder and self-starter. And so these things he's done as a race director, right now he's the race director for the Cocodona 250, right? Um, he gets stuff off the ground and he gets it moving, you know? And a lot of why I'm an active person is because it helps me become better at these very things that I like love in you, Steve. And it's this self-starting building, uh, trait that you have. Um, I guess that's just a compliment I'm throwing your way. Thanks, but. Alex. That's, <laughs> that's great. Uh, you know, congrats to you for getting this thing up and running too. This episode one, that yeah. you got me on, you're building this too. And I don't know whether I should be, you know, like flattered, like, Oh, number one, or it's, yeah. It's you're wanting to get the kinks out with somebody who lives down the street, and you're like, "Hey, uh, you're the you're the easiest person that I could get to show up <laughs> in this dungeon that we got filming at." Right yeah, now. I think the kinks 
you know, are in everything. You know, the, I, I think you're the perfect guest to be on first because, uh, you know, one, I'm, very, I'm comfortable with you and, and we have good conversations. But two, you are this, you, you have these traits of self-starting and building, you know. And again, why not? You know, that's something in me that, like, is, is wanting. That's something in me that I'm always pursuing. That's my path of, like, what makes me productive and a good member of society and feel comfortable with myself, you know, and, and you kind of have these things of like, Oh, let's just start it. Let's just kick it off the ground. Let's just get the ball moving for planning this race out. And I have it too, but, um, I struggle with it when I'm by myself, you know what I mean? Yeah, And, I and that's why like, it's how it's taken so long to get this off the ground. Um, so anyways, you're the perfect guest, man, because ah, thanks. it's about moving forward and starting new things. Well, I, I know what you mean, especially about that, that trait in you, Alex, because it makes me think of, um, you know, when you were, you had these, this race idea for here in Ogden to get started. Yeah. It's such a cool race idea. And you, you could totally, you have all the skills yeah. to do it on your own, but you didn't feel necessarily comfortable doing it on your own. You needed somebody else there as a sounding board. And like, then, then somebody else beside you, you felt comfortable, more comfortable in it. You know? Yeah. I'm a people pleaser, you know? Mm. So something yeah. for me is like, I have something or someone to work for now or with, you know, uh, it, it, I know my role when there are like others around. It's like, oh, serve them and like do a good job. Well, and, and everybody feels good. That's cool that you know that about yourself because that allows you to use that as a tool to make sure that you're pushing and succeeding. So that's yeah. cool. Man. In in theory, in theory, <laughs> I would use it effectively as a tool. You know, in in reality, I have deeper fears that still are like, yeah, don't float yourself out there, dude. Like, just figure out a way to do it yourself. But then, yeah, juxtapose that with a person that can't do everything himself and, in fact, does better when there is somebody there with them, you know? So, hmm. yeah, it's a, that's, that's some of the battle I walk. But, Sounds um, like it's hard to be inside there, Alex, yeah, in your head. Well, heads are interesting, you know? Um, but one of the things I think we share, uh, in addition, you know, to you being a builder and a self-starter, is, like, I, I, I am a self-starter, too, you know? And, and there's a place... There are many places in my life where that happens, um, but the biggest to me is moving and running and experiencing time out in nature. And that's, again, the whole crux of what this is about is like there's something about me getting out and moving through various activities that helps me along my path and helps me be a better person, you know, and I see that in so many people and I've seen it and experienced it in you. And I think you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but there's, there is the experience of you, you know, getting out and having adventures for yourself and, and, you know, knowing that that makes you feel fulfilled as a person, there's that aspect. And then you, there's also this, like this thing you're doing currently, which is building these experiences for people. And there's no way in hell that you'd be building something like Cocodona 250, and I'll let you talk about it in a second. There's no way in hell that you would build something like that unless you brought some intention of like what you were wanting to provide for the participants, you know? Yeah, I, it's true. You're, de you're designing and building something. If we're talking about Cocodona for the participants, yes, but it's 
for me personally, the motivation to do it is more about doing something that's epic, doing doing something for me that is different and epic. And you know, you have one life to live, so doing something that is different, doing something that you're going to be proud of when you know twenty eight thousand days down your line, you're looking back on your life, thinking, was it worth it? Yeah. It's interesting. So talk a little bit about what Coca-Dona is um, since we're spending some time on that. And since this will be the second year of the Coca-Dona 250 um, and really in in the in the ultra ultra running world, I don't know if there's a real term for it, like it's a premier event. And I, I was lucky enough to be out working it last year. And you can see that, like, it is going to skyrocket as a premier event because it offers so much to such an a wide such a wide array of people, you know, fast runners, slow runners, whatever. So, yeah. Should you riff on that for a second. Yeah, Cocodona. Okay. Cocodona 250. So there's a saying now that 200 is the new 100. And I'm super happy about that because I believe that the 200 plus mile running distance ultra running race offers something so much deeper so much such so much more of a impacting experience on your life than a 100 100 mile running race is amazing as well everybody on this earth should do one everybody on this earth can do one even if they don't believe that they could and same with the 250 200 mile race um the Cocodona 250 is part of a small group of races that are coming out that are that ultra ultra is what you called it. But, you know, the 200 mile distance is what they're referred to. Um, Cocodona is in central Arizona. It basically climbs from Phoenix. So the Sonoran Desert, the desert you think of with the big saguaro cactus, the one that looked like you know, somebody with their arms stuck out, you know, yeah, to cardboard side. cut out, you know, <laughs> yeah, waving, totally. waving at the uh, passerbys or kicking a field goal through them. Exactly. And it goes through. And I'd love to get into a lot of the specifics because it's such an amazing race and a, such an amazing place in central Arizona, but climbs from there up to Flagstaff and finishes in Flagstaff. So you get these volcanic peaks over a really cool town of Flagstaff sitting at 7,000 feet looking up at volcanic peaks, the San Francisco peaks, right? That most of the year have snow on them. It's just awesome. The difference in terrain, you go from climbing up to Flagstaff in 250. I think we've actually got it to 249.6 miles now. Mm. So an actual 250 mile race last year was 257.4, but always tweaking on that one. Um, Dude, it is, uh, I don't know. I got off on a tangent. Did I answer You're the good. question? No, yeah. I mean, talking about that, what it is a little bit. And and Cocodona is unique. So I, I think the cool thing about where 200 milers are at is that they're all unique, you know? So you kind of explained a little bit what 200 milers were, but then you just jumped into like, oh, there's this, this is one of one. This is Cocodona 250. And, and what is really cool about it being one of one is it's so unique. Like you really do start down in that. I don't know the exact biological terms for these different desert fauna and areas that you go through, but you start down in like that desert desert where 
things are a bit more prickly. You know, you've got saguaros and you've got some other prickly things. You've got the jumping choya down there and you're running up this long canyon, like so long, like so long that that same company runs a hundred K down it next weekend and in, in a different race. Right. You it's, know, I mean, the first 50 K is one of the hardest 50 Ks you could do in the United States, but it's crazy. You're in the desert moving through cactus and you work your way up into like lowland mountain country, you know, and, and you get into Prescott and then you run through town, right? Like past famous landmarks. It's funny that you're telling the but story. I'm, just, I'm the telling race. to prompt you on it to go a little bit further, Ooh, right? Because this is just, deeper. this is just stage one. Like what happens over and over again in this race is you go from like wild desert areas and changing scenarios. I mean, you get into high woodlands too, you know? Well, that's, and then you go right. through crazy towns. Well, yeah. Jim. So, uh, Jamil Curry is the brainchild behind Cocodona. Uh, Jamil started Aravipa uh, running the shop in Arizona for putting on trail running races. And such, I mean, man, we could go on about, we could do a whole podcast and may have been done um, about Aravipa and Jamil. But anyways, Jamil hired me to come on and, and develop the Cocodona race. Um and uh, super lucky to have been able to and been asked to do that. Um, but he designed a course that did just what you said. Go from, de- from desert areas, across valleys, over mountain peaks, where you're changing ecosystems, going through Sedona, the red rock walls, climbing up to Flagstaff, but also dropping into all these awesome towns along the way. Um, he really wanted that to be part of it. And, you know, part of what he wanted to design here was almost like a European style race where you're dropping into these mountain towns, um, crossing up over the pass and into the next valley where there's a little town. So, you know, we do that in Arizona. The feel is definitely wild west. Um, but, uh, he but you wanted can to feel capture that, that that Euro feel, you know, when well, you mention that's, it, you go, yeah, of and, course. And that's what we want to build with the race. You know, the first year was to get the thing up and off the ground. Yeah. Um, but the end vision for the race is a, an elite, uh, elite may be the wrong choice of words. The end vision for the race is a pinnacle race that draws runners from all over the world that want to experience this area of the United States, this beautiful place in the desert. Um, and, uh, and it will, we'll, we'll get there. First year was just to hold on and make yeah. it happen. Yeah, you know, yeah. second year we're going to improve upon that. And then the third year, we're really going to focus on making it, uh, making it world-class. What's cool is these longer races, you know, the longer the race, the more you do get a chance to experience those dynamics and those changes and stuff like that. And, and, uh, uh, also, I think it, it might be it's tough for new initiative initiates, you know, in terms of like long distance running to, to think about it. But when you're saying it's accessible to everybody, um, something about the distance, you know, actually really does make it accessible to to a lot of people. If you if you set your sight and go, OK, this is going to be multiple days here, but moving consistently, like finding a way to finding a way to move like you know, to move for 20 hours and, and go down for a second and then move for another 18 or whatever. Like it's from that 
it's almost counterintuitive. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like it's accessible. You throw that big mileage up on the wall and it feels like it's an impossible feat, but it actually, if you understand it, it's more accessible than a hundred miler. There's very, I mean, I believe there's not a whole lot of room for error in a hundred miler. You go, you put yourself negative in the hurt locker in dehydration or mental state or, you know, a sprained ankle or, you know, whatever. In a hundred miler, the race is over. In a 200 miler, you have all the time in the world. Yeah. I mean, you have five days. In if case you've decided you're just going to keep moving, if you're shuffling, if you just decide I'm going to keep moving, you'll, you'll get there. And I mean, there's something really beautiful there, you know, just don't give up. Don't ever give up. And you complete this amazing thing. It's pretty cool, but it is accessible. If you have that, that, um, belief, if you have that, I am not going to give up, you'll get there. Well, and there's more buffer built in because it's longer and you can lower the pace. Like it does get to the point of like, Hey, you know, it, it, no way you do this is going to be easy, but you know, you, you can backpack, you can hike this thing out, you know, I mean, you can take it out light from the start and slowly over these days, it's going to grind you down, but it's well within your grasp and, and while you do it, you know, Cocodona is going to show you all the different aspects of Arizona while you're doing this epic challenge and you can bite onto these nuggets, you know? And hold on to them and they pull you through and up and over the next pass because you know that there's like something interesting to see. And and that's what I really like about it. I mean, that draws me into ultra running as a whole. But the distance of a, of a 200 like Cocodona 250 really gives you that. No, that the fact that you brought that up of getting all these little nuggets of things to see. Um, you know, when you're designing a course and you, you it's not like you have an infinite choice of directions you want to go you've got to get to from point a to point b in a certain amount of mileage you don't have a lot of flexibility but man when you find something on the course that this it's this cool campsite or this connection between two points or um you know a sweet little section of mountain bike or you know a little historical marker that oh man if i just tack on another quarter mile i go past this viewpoint or you know, there's a history piece or an old cabin or an old mine, you know, as a race director, that's pretty cool to get to introduce people. Now you're not, you know, you kind of just stumbled upon it and it happens to be on the route, but you kind of feel like you've designed this route to show them all these cool things. And, yeah. You know, it's, it's just, you get lucky when you're going through central Arizona, you get all those pieces. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Another thing that has drawn me to the sport in general is, you know, you talk a little bit about the luck and the gems that Arizona has. And um, I'll drop back, you know, a couple years here, five years, I guess, just to say that, you know, you and I know each other. You were my boss when I got hired on at Ragnar Trail, a format you invented. And I've been privileged to be able to travel all over the country, putting on races and helping other race directors execute their events. And one of the things that like, yeah, I knew this before too, but like every place is cool, man. Like every place has amazing shit. Every place has its beauty. Every, and, and there's beauty across the street and there's beauty 10 miles away and there's beauty a hundred miles away or a 12 hour drive away. It's everywhere. And one of the things that like 
any form of movement does, but getting out and running trails does is like, you say you got lucky, but like you, you couldn't have struck out dude, because you're, you have a race that's crossing a huge chunk of the state, you know, and all you're doing is just polishing that, those gold nuggets that are there and saying like, holy fuck, I found this nugget. I want to show it to somebody else. And um, it's all, that's what's cool in general, in the crux, I believe that any form of movement gives you these moments of beauty. You saw them, you routed the course, and they get passed on to the participants that come experience them as their own. And yeah, it's amazing. You get, you get, I guess just, I, I don't know why I chimed in, but you get a bigger chance. No, you know? Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. And you know this cause you've been a race director at races where you want to go talk to somebody as they're finishing or at an aid station, you know, struggling through with getting their stuff on and you want to be like, Hey, what did you think about that last section? Yeah. You know? And it's awesome when they respond with the same excitement of like, Oh, Oh man, that single track was fun to run. Or like, hey, it was really cool to see the, you know, see the section of lake. Or or like, man, one of my favorites of your race is Kentucky. Yeah. You know, that on that red loop that running up that drainage. Yeah. Oh my gosh, with the flowers and just a beautiful stream. Yeah, Otter um, Creek there, man. Otter I mean, Creek. that's when I'm talking about like there being amazing places all everywhere. You know, Kentucky's at the forefront of my mind because, like, that's not the only place in that state. I mean, oh, my God, the Red River Gorge. And, like, as I began to explore that state, you realize, like, the whole damn thing is, like, an English storybook almost as you traverse from these grass and horse lands into, like, into rugged mountainscapes, you know? Yeah, amazing. Um, I think Alex just had a wet dream of... Oh Kentucky. my God. I know I am a bit amped up, you know, um, <laughs> cause we were moving earlier. No, I, I totally agree, man. Every place has its beauty. It's really cool to explore and find that we've been both really lucky that we've gotten that opportunity, you know? Yeah, for certain. I, I think, I wonder if, if this is true, you know, for you at all, like for me, like it has been like a, a dedicated, um, thing in my mind that I know like no I I I need to be associated with the outdoors like I need to kind of have time to put in outdoors I know that I need to have a job so if that's true I kind of have to like be working in some scenario that is some way associated with the outdoors and that's what led me through you know city worker like park worker uh, arborist and trail race director is like I knew that I was like giving myself that space, you know? Um, yeah. Is that true for you? No, it's totally true. Yeah. yeah. It's a choice of lifestyle based on how early did that start for you? You know, some of the things like, you know, Steve, I can go back to our beginning of Ragnar and I, and I, and I know what you were doing before and I can pull out fragments of like you were a kickboxer and you played football and, but I don't have the, the heavy deets, you know? So like hmm. when, when did you know that that was a parameter in your mind of like, Hey, I, I need to live somewhere that has access to this, or I increasingly want to, you know, it seems like you, the further back in my life you go, you find examples of it. But I mean, I grew up loving to, my favorite thing to do growing up was explore. You were a Texas boy, right? Yeah. I, I grew up in a place that had a Creek that was, basically across the street from my house and the creek would go for miles either direction. And 
man, I, I still know that thing like the back of my hand. I can close my eyes and be in any spot on that creek, you know, or I, I was super fortunate. My, my parents, my mom especially, introduced me to the beauty of the outdoors, whether it was the Texas Gulf Coast or the ranch lands of West Texas or New Mexico and its mountains and deserts. Um, so I, I was really lucky to get introduced to that and, and love exploring. That was, you know, Indiana Jones or exploring was yeah. what we called it. We just, I loved going out and finding what's out there, you yeah. know, and so like what were building you... a little fort and stuff like that. But that's not what I wanted to focus on. And that's, okay. I am interested in what you were doing along that river though. Were you just exploring or were you fishing too? Like what were your adventures? I mean, everything you know and it changed in the 10 years that i explored that from from like building forts as a little kid to you know pushing as far as you could see how far you could go on this creek and through tunnels and into sewer networks and then you know smoking pot and getting away from you know the house yeah and and then taking girls to you know i mean it Everyday it, adventure, man. It was a lifelong relationship with this yeah, creek and yeah. the outdoors through that creek. But, but when I was when I turned twenty eight, I really grew up. I decided I needed to grow up and get my act together. I was I had a lifestyle that revolved around drinking before that. It seemed, but mm. that I mean, that was more on the party side. But there was outdoors, there was sports, there was like you were mentioning team sports that I was focused on also. So I just wasn't, uh, you know degenerate <laughs> yeah nobody's accusing you of that <laughs> i, I, no, I saw you folks you can't see him i oh got this guy was off the deep end but uh no life revolved around partying and drinking when i was 28 i decided i want to make a change in my life and um i knew i wanted to move west so that's really when it started again of i need to get back outside and explore like i grew up doing moved out to utah had a couple of jobs but still felt like I needed to do something career-wise that matched up with what I wanted to do. Um, and, and what were you doing? Was it the, it was solar panel? Like I was doing, I was a engineer. Yeah. I, I went to school and got an engineering degree. So I was doing engineering work, design work for geothermal, started with geothermal, but also solar, solar hot water systems for residential and commercial uh, projects. So that was great. I mean, I, I, I am passionate about, you know, if you're passionate about the outdoors and being outdoors, you're, it's almost goes hand in hand with being passionate about conservation. It's and certainly a gateway drug, exactly, which is something exactly. that's amazing. So, um, sustainability was a big focus and I, I felt like I was giving back and doing something good with that, but I, I wanted to do something that was aligned with, uh, outdoor sports and, my love for being outside. So that's, and it was really just being the luckiest person in the world, right place at the right time uh, to take a job as a a race director. Um, But uh, it was really a choice of wanting to do something that um, with uh, with my day-to-day nine-to-five work that I wanted to do something with outdoor sports movement. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a good way to kind of like get a two for one you know and uh find a way to do what we all have to do which is get paid but also go like hey i've kind of decided that i need to be outside a lot it's it's important you know and put it all together so smart move i was lucky enough to come on 
a few years later and get hired by you eventually. Um, I remember how busy you were and I, uh, I kind of dude, like I was, I'm a certified arborist and I, I was pruning trees in the Salt Lake area. I secured that job before Nicole and I moved out in early 2015, but it wasn't right. Like from the start, it wasn't that care and ethics that I had come from in municipal forestry as to private sector. And we don't have to get into that. But I remember knowing I needed a different job <laughs> and like Nicole showing me this posting, you know, my wife, she basically does everything for me in my life. When you really break it down, it's like, she's there behind the shadows, you know, behind the curtain. Anyways, I remember seeing this job and <laughs> I'd never heard of Ragnar before, you know, and uh, I'm like, what the hell is that? Even though I run a ton. But anyways, I remember her showing this to me and me going like, fuck, I could do this, you know, like I could do this. Okay. And, and I knew I needed it and I got a little fixated on it and you were like, must have been like a ton of travel, dude. You probably know the other side to this story, but from my perspective, you know, I reached out and not heard and then kind of like touched base with whoever I sent, you know, it to, which may have been to you right away. I can't recall at this time and, uh, touch base again. And finally you're like, Oh, let's meet at this coffee shop. Um, down in SLC, what alchemy or what was it? Yeah. Alchemy. Yeah. Uh, you get, you threw me that bone dude, you know, like, like a couple weeks later, you know, and I was like, all right, dude. And we went and sat down and, and talked a little bit and, um, and it was pretty good. And you were like, yeah, I think, you know, next step would be like putting together, um, case study, you know, and, and sending that in. And then you'd sit down with the team and yada, yada, yada. And, uh, I was pushing you for like that case study information, like a few emails. But by that point I was like, I fucking need this <laughs> like i need to <laughs> I shift you. Yeah. you know well yeah. i just i i needed out of my job too and there weren't other like things that were on my like what am i going to go do yeah there weren't other scenarios and in my mind i wasn't ready to start my own tree business at the time um so i remember just badgering the hell out of you and finally getting in there to that interview you know and, and maybe that translates more over to you when you say you hired me off of singing that song basically <laughs> but but through all that shit uh, um, I had the privilege of, of working you with you for a few years, putting on trail races all over the world that that serve a great need for people. And Ragnar Trail are these two-night, um, one to two-night, overnight trail running relays where you have seven other partners, a team of eight, and there are other variations of that if you want to go ultra and run more miles, but you run a very accessible number between 14 and 18 miles. And this really is genius. Like being removed from Ragnar now, the more I see like the accessible miles, three different runs over a couple days, totaling 16 to 18 miles, three different loops of trail is the ultimate gateway drug into a little intro to ultra running or trail running for people. Totally. And you know, you do get to introduce people to the beauty of trail running, but at the same time, they're doing it with a team. They're doing it with friends. They're hanging out. They're camping. They're maybe having a beer. They're going around to the campfire. They're dressed they're in like, costumes. Whoa, this is cool. So, you know, the cool thing about what you were talking about, Ragnar Trail, is not just in introducing people to the the beauty of those runs that they're on, but it's also introducing people to 
you know, walking around in the campsite and sitting around the campfire for a little while, going and having a beer, maybe like, you know, just hanging out with the team, having a team to do it with and experience this weekend. And, um, yeah, almost a lifestyle of, of how to, how to spend your time outdoors or one, one way you can. And seeing people for the first time, just be like, Whoa, this is awesome. You know, but watching that, I think that that's so fun. Yeah, I agree. It's everything collectively. That's what is so cool about that, I guess, that unique experience is it really is almost like a, it's almost like a cliff notes of, of not just trail running, not even close. It's, it's of like, yeah, how to, how to spend your time outside. And there are different ways, but like to give that camping experience, to give things that like a lot of people maybe hadn't really done much before. It's like that extended tailgating experience where you are really spending time outside. And at some of these venues, the stars, dude, they're not just out. They're coming out big time, you know? And and so you start to get that stuff that maybe some people hadn't seen since they were a kid or, like, had only recently seen on, like, Nat Geo, like, some program. And then you see it in the flesh as you smell the air and you go, like, whoa, something tweaks in your mind a bit. And you go, like this is interesting. Or even when you're running and some people are going like, this sucks. I'm like exploding. It just makes the finish line beer that much better. And they have these highs and lows that I think it's just really, for me, it's just really fun um, to know that there are people coming and partaking in that. You know, I mean, part of you is like, there's a small bit of giving, but I should almost amend my words. Most of it is them coming and getting it, you know, like you provide an experience and they're like, I need this, you know, and they kind of, they don't even know they need it. Well, and I, you said the highs and lows. I think we need those. Yeah. And any experience that goes for a few days, you get those highs and lows. That's one thing I love about uh, ultra running. That's one thing I I loved about uh, the, the relay series, the trail series, uh, and the road series, you get the same. Um, uh, we're talking about different products within Ragnar. Uh, yeah, there was some. Ro- there was a road running component. There is a road running component right. where you have twelve people on a team and you drive around in vans instead, and you run three different legs. You know, over about two hundred and twenty miles. Um, but it still provides. You know, like like the race that I ended up kind of directing uh, for one year, the Bourbon Chase. You know, I mean that that race takes you through these different biomes of Kentucky, much oh, that something like Cocodona does. distillery to distillery. Yeah. That's such a cool race, man. Oh, man. Yeah, so you you know, and that, again, that comes back to Cocodona, and that comes back to camping at these Ragnar Trail events. The really cool thing about, you know, moving outdoors in a really cool event or just moving by yourself is, like, even on the trail when I'm running outside. Like, I love going out for the nature, but I also love when I run into people on the trail and even if it's just saying hi to them or howdy or like beautiful day, you know, and like getting that response, there's a connection there, you know, and you, you get to expand your horizons in all directions. Um, you, you get the nature and the culture or the civilized or the town that you're running through, you know, oh, the connection, the connection. Yeah. Yeah. Really pretty cool, man. Um, yeah, so all of that started, though, with saying, like, when did that, you know, when did you know that the, you know, kind of being connected and working in the outdoors, you know, was 
was something that you needed to put your time towards and and uh yeah, yeah. right around 28 yeah i you know i was i was participating in sport at that time but they were different sports and i was living in st louis which is a great town but it's not the best for outdoor exploration and being out you know in the mountains and then a beautiful place to to recreate um I was uh, I, I played football all through college and then after fo- after college uh, played Australian rules football Aussie rules as people people will call it um, and, and it was great but that was the time that I you know at the time period in my life when I quit drinking I decided I wanted to move out west I stopped the team sports side and started into really rediscovering my roots of exploration out in, out in nature, uh, and, and moved out West to be, uh, in the outdoors. That's when, that's when it started. Yeah. And, and so you, you think like endurance sports, they lend themselves better to kind of going out and exploring like that sense of adventure. Is that what drew you to that and away from team sports? You know, you know, being that this is a podcast about movement, I've always been into movement for sport, for the purpose of sport, yeah. pushing yourself, you know, like seeing how far you can go, those things. But it really, until trail run, until I, I, I got into trail running, I didn't realize that a sport that you're involved in can be just about exploration. Really. I mean, I mean the times I've said exploration really in the past (laughs) few minutes makes me realize that it's really about that. It's for me being outside and participating in a sport is about exploring nature. Yeah. It's, it's important. So sports wise, you had participated in, you know, sports that weren't related to that kind of exploration, some sort of exploration, because you're kind of exploring your limits. But when you go back to like the creek or like growing up, like where there, you know, like there was exploration there, you know, so I guess you're getting back to those. Is it in some way getting back to those roots of like, yeah, pure joy and discovery? Is that? Yeah. And it does. It's not as fabricated. You yeah. Know, it's not on a field with lines on it. It's it's out in nature. It's playing. It's being a kid again. Yeah. Really, yeah. You know? it, yeah, it, dude. It really is. I So I remember <laughs> an experience. I was I was very much into triathlon and triathlon, I feel, is an amazing sport. Um and but you can do be get a to Brit explore rigid. a little bit rigid, you know, <laughs> got my heart rate monitor on and my pace is, I'm got my pace on my watch that I'm looking at and I'm like trying to keep a certain cadence and I'm like thinking about my nutrition and I'm like t- thinking the training block that I'm going to do next week for a race that's coming up. and just, it's so much of that. Yeah. And I was pacing a buddy, uh, he invited me to pace him in the Wasatch 100. It's a, a beautiful, amazing race here in, in Utah. Uh, we really are blessed with, to have this at our back, really our, our back doorstep. Yeah. Alex, both you and I. Oh yeah. And, uh, it's the second oldest hundred miler in the world. Um, so it's got a great pass to it. Um, anyways, he, I didn't know all this at the time, but now I've come to, you know, love this race, this, um, like it's, it's my favorite race, but uh, he invited me to pace him on this section, and it's nighttime going into daytime, and the sun's starting to rise. We come up and over this ridge right at sunrise, and there's three or four runners just sitting on the ground watching the sunrise. And my first thought was, is everyone okay? 
Yeah. Is somebody is hurt. They're like, what's going on? Like, why are you guys stopped? We need to go. Come on. We're competing for the next place. You yeah. Know? Uh, and they were like, yeah, we're fine. We're watching the sunrise, man. This is great. And that's when I realized I'm like blown away of, wow, they're, they're in a race and they're going to stop and watch the sunrise. I'm like, this is the sport that I want to be a part of. Yeah. Well, when you talk, like what's crazy about that is like, you know, people that are in the sport will probably know what I'm saying, but like, and you're, if you're not, you'll get it too. It's like that sunrise is like some sunny D as a kid or something. Like it's literally fuel for the race. Like the, that, that's like part of the adventure of like being outdoors in these trail races is like you're going to places where you want to get a little jolt of awe and the motherfucker like electrocutes you and you you get a, a boost out of that yeah you know what i mean like how incredible is that it is like the most natural of highs and i think that adventure um can i tell a little story of bryce yeah please man do. it it <laughs> we've got a connection through this as well because the the late great race director uh has passed uh and, and we could talk about that if we wanted to too but man when when i moved out here and started running in the mountains of salt lake city and signed up for this 50k in bryce canyon and i'd seen like photos of bryce like online you know and we'd moved out in march uh and and right away somebody had a uh, like a, what do they call it? Like a, for dudes that are getting married and for women too. I think it's called a bachelor. Bachelor party. and bachelorette parties. They were happening, you know, the couple, they were doing their individual thing and, and we're all kind of together too. And so we drive, drove down to Vegas and you can, you drive past like the very outskirts of like, you know, Zion and, and you can kind of pull off at that North entrance and see some of the red rock and stuff that had been as close as I'd ever gotten physically to anything like that kind of country in my life was a couple of long views, which were super sick. Um, and so a few months later I go down to run Bryce Canyon. My God, dude, uh, when you, when you crest these hills and then stare down into these cuts that are filled with what they call hoodoos, you know, this red rocky, sandstony stuff i don't even know the name of the rock do you steve you know what i wish we could do i wish we could call up somebody right now yeah and he would know the answer so uh, you referred to the late great so matt gunn was a friend i would say of both of ours yes yeah, um, yeah I, I didn't know him as well but i i understood his energy yeah so that it's a super sad loss to lose Matt and uh, not have him around anymore. But uh, man, if you ever wanted to know of a campsite in an area in the in the the desert in Utah, or if you wanted to know uh, where to go for a trail run in this mountain range that you're passing by, uh, Matt would know. So if we wanted to know the layer <laughs> of the Hoodoo's and Bryce, uh, yeah. Oh well, it's a Pontagant Plateau is the name of the plateau. Mm. But I, I don't know what, like, epic rock layer yeah. that is. But um, Matt would have. But Matt would have, yeah. yeah. Anyways, but, uh, yeah, you were, so we were about to t talk yeah. about Bryce. Well, so that race is, is, is similar to that Wasatch experience you had. I'd, I'd had some trail race experiences similarly. One really powerful one that involved, you know, my dad who has passed away. Um, and that's kind of the stuff that made me transition to move in Utah. But this first, like, real deep beauty sensation um, 
second one, I should say, came at Bryce. And it it was just incredible to to go and run this race, which is something you're doing to kind of like show your physical prowess or extend your zone and see how deep you can go with inside yourself and, and unleash that energy to at the same time be in a place that's so visually inspiring and so new and so unique that you're like break down as you crest a hill as you're running and bust out crying and as the tears come out right these are high tears not low tears you know high emotion like good emotion tears they come out you're like burning off this wild energy that's like shooting through your body as you're giving this emotion you know letting it out of your body it's it's um and what the the feeling you're talking about right now is what that's what Matt would design. We're talking about race, race director, what we get to showcase to people, what we get to introduce people to. And that is what Matt was looking to do at all of his races. Yeah. He would put you on a trail that sucked for a long time to get to that point where you end up in tears. And I, I, you know, I can think of so many of Matt's races that, uh, that there are those beautiful stretches from yeah. Bryce to Zion, Antelope Canyon, Monument Valley. I mean, dang, he would put you into some beautiful places. Oh man, no doubt. Tushers, we yeah, both Tushers is amazing. About Tushers. Shit, this is just a race podcast all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I think that is why you know I understood Matt like right from the first time we met, even though we didn't hang out a bunch. Is is that feeling that I had in Bryce, like that, I'm not looking for the highest high of that all the time, but I've realized that like through moving daily, through getting out and running daily, you know, when I was an arborist and climbing in the trees and I could feel the stiffness in the branches of the older trees that had less water in them because they're getting older and it felt arthritic like a human and you realize like they're alive and the only reason you know it is because you're fucking moving around in them, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that same thing in running is like, to me, it's like, it's really being alive. And it, it, it's, it's just about the little daily, like noticing the interaction between your body and the rest of the world and how something like a view into Bryce can trigger an emotional reaction where you're burning energy or how something like a sunset over the Great Salt Lake along the Wasatch 100 can can trigger this stillness and this like this just beautiful understanding that everything is pretty damn good you know that idea fuck we there's so many of us and me number one to me because I'm the only one I really know like I, I just I need that to to feel good about myself you know um, yeah yeah I haven't been so good lately about doing that yeah and it's I could tell it's affecting me I you know it's good that I think you're in a place right now in your life where you're out doing that yeah on a daily basis you have your meditation in the mountain time and you're you're doing it and i think you're reaping the the benefits from it i think that's awesome man i'm i'm not in a spot where i'm doing that as much well you know it ebbs and it flows yeah totally i've i've dealt with it off and on 
my whole life. But for me, one of the things I've never really done well, I've always known that like, hey, you know, getting up, moving that blood around and like Nicole, my wife, she'll kick me out of the house. Like if I'm too much of an ale, like get out of here, go do something, you know, like that stuff has been like known and stuff like that. And I've always known that I need to be associated with the outdoors. But I've never given myself like truly um, to say, hey, like in 2013, we went and hiked the AT and that's a big dedication to the outdoors. But it's all a dessert because you're like, this is like, this is a journey, dude, that we've been waiting for, that I've been waiting for my whole life. And now I'm going like, hey, like that's fine, but you got to use the tool that movement is to you, you know, as your daily medicine. And in fact, there's some <laughs> deep things saying that you should be, you know, our circulatory system for one. I mean, we're built to pump blood through our heart. And move it through our bodies, you know? So I think for me lately, and I've always been trying to get better and better at it, but right now I'm in a really good zone where I'm going like, hey, I need to move every day. It makes me feel good as a human being. I'm a better human being to others. And there are going to be days like always where you're down and you don't want to move. But this time, you're going to get out and move, dude. You know, it's that holding myself to something and not just flying by the whims and the seats of my pants so that when I'm really high on like moving and feeling good and in a good zone, that's cool. But as soon as I go into this, a little darker mode and not having faith in the world anymore that I start skipping moving. This time I'm going like, you know what? You're not letting go of that space to move because you will weather this storm better if you keep that in your life. Yep. Yeah, I know there, there, I'm in a spot right now where y- you're right, totally. If you move every day, you feel better. Your lows are not as low. I'm in a spot now to where I, I don't have motivation to get up and get act, active and out there and moving. Even though I know it would help, I'm just like, I don't really care all that much. I'd rather just work. I need to just be working. When I would be more efficient at work if I, if I was to do more movement. Yeah. 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 Huh. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, and have you been through other times like this before where you felt that? Never. This is the first time in life. Yeah. So when we talk about things like, well, like I was just talking about like this time, which I've, I've been through this pattern a lot and all our patterns are different, but you know, I, I don't know. I've held on to I've held on to these highs and low lows since, I don't know, like nine or 10 or something weird, you know, um, long time. And so when I say this time, like I'm holding myself to, um, to continue that movement, to provide a space for me to, to move. Like, are, have you been working on anything like that? What's or do you not have, uh, are you not even giving yourself space to think through those things? It, I guess what I'm at, what I'm really asking is like the other day I was on a run, I think it was Thursday and this is, this is so weirdly not related, but it is. Okay. I run with this waist pack on, it's got a water, uh, holster on each back hip. It's uh, called a fanny pack. Alex. Yeah. And they're awesome, man. Oh my God. Um, the one I've got, it fits so well. They used to not fit well, but now you can just move. And, uh, but I'm only carrying one water holster on my left hip. Well, I've also been like dealing with this tight hip 
and tight left hamstring for like a year and a half, you know, and I manage and stretch it out. And the other day I'm on a run and this is why I love consistency. I'd been running actually the same route for like the last three days, a little 10 mile, five mile out and back. And, um, I'm running and I've got the pack on and the water's over my back left glute there. And my mind starts to say like, pop that water pack out, switch it over to the right side, you know? And I'm like still running and I go like, pop that water pack out, switch it over to the right side. And I say it like four or five times, typical bullshit that I do in my life all the time. I have like good ideas. I say stuff and I don't act on them, you know? So finally, like 30, 40 seconds later, I like my mind as slow as it is goes like, dude, time to fucking implement and activate on what you're ruminating on, you know? So I pop it out, switch it over and no joke, that little shift in weight off this hip that's been bothering me for much longer than I've been carrying a water thing on it. But it, it, that's how slight it is. As soon as I shifted it, like two minutes later, it's smooth and I'm, I'm right where I need to be and the hip's not bothering me. And it's this idea of, um, what was I calling it? Uh, yeah, thinking, reacting, and then like adapting or implementing you know, that, that thought and reaction is like, so often I think of something like the water bottle needs to shift and I just think of it and then I let it go and I move on. But the reacting part you do in these events, you know, I mean, you, you, when you're out, like you wear yourself down to a mental state where like when you think something, you'll react and you'll take care of these little problems and you can bring them back to your everyday life. So thinking, reacting and adapting. I thought, finally, like a minute later when I got it, I reacted, I shifted it, and my body adapted, and I was running fine. And, like, that lesson I could bring out to my everyday life and go, like, hey, man, like, like actually just, like, implement these things that you often think about and get down on yourself for not following through with, you know? Like, implement them. You're thinking them. Bring them to life. I, I, I say just get started. Just, yeah. Just just. If you, you don't have to think about the whole huge task or whatever, you just get started. But this relates to what you're going through right now, you know, tying this back to like, you know, kind of what's, you don't know exactly what's wrong, but you do know that you, there are some things that make you feel better than others. And yet, you know, we still get to this place and maybe you're there now where you, you fail to implement, even though you know. I think I only have a certain amount of energy for yeah. implementing and pushing and building. And right mm. now with what I'm doing right now, building out vans, I feel like I'm having to put in so much of the pump myself up and just keep going, even though I keep running into problem after problem, like just keep after it Yeah, that I don't have the bandwidth to put in the energy into my own life right now. So like to tell myself, no, just get start, just go for a run this morning. Yeah. You know, j no, just like put on the skate skis, you know, and head up, uh, or, you know, whatever, whatever movement that I know if I was consistent with it would make me feel better. I don't have the bandwidth to push myself in that direction right now. Yeah. So do you not even think those thoughts? I don't even think it. Yeah. I, don't, I, I mean, I would be down on myself if I'd be like, come on, get up and run. I'm like, 
No, absolutely not, dude. Yeah. You're going to get up at six. You're going to have coffee. You're going to sit there for a minute and just gather your thoughts. You're going to start in on emails and ordering products. You're going to do that for an hour and a half. You're going to make some breakfast and you're going to go to work and you're going to work all day. And when you're done with it, you're going to be exhausted Yeah. from thinking and, and working. I mean, the cool part is I'm building out these vans into basically living RV units. Yeah. The problem is I've got a warehouse that's got four of them inside of it and all four are going all at once. And, and just, I've got to be ordering products. I got to be thinking about the next step. I got to, you know, I'm working with another guy, so I'm figuring out the things for him to do. And like always there's stuff that's going wrong that I've got to fix. And it's, it's great to build this beautiful product and to be a craftsman and to create and build something. But man, I'm just exhausting too. Yeah, man, it does sound like you describing it. I was like, I have, I have a really hard life, Alex. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm not saying that. You no, know. I know, but I feel like I'm complaining, and then I'm like, dude. No. Well, it's shut interesting. Up. I think we're just exploring a little bit that that tough spot, you know. Um, yeah, and I guess it just is is what it is. It is what it is. Right but now even to me. me, like right now, you know, you made time, right, to come with me. We went out for two hours, climbed 2,000 feet, dropped into a cool canyon. And now you're giving me a little more time. And what we're doing with this time is exploring that very idea. Like you are thinking about it now. And yeah, I mean, you plied me with substances. Yeah. And then we went for a run. Then you plied me with more substances. Yeah, we've got some Wisconsin beers here. Um, yeah. You well, know, Alex, you're you're a smart guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess my point is is that it still does have a space in your life, you know? And and sometimes in those lowest moments, um when we don't think we have the energy to to give ourselves something or that time, you know, if you do take that leap, um, you'll find that it like works and you might you get, get more energy. You might get it. a little traction for the totally. next one. No, I know. And my yeah. whole life I've been able to just be like, no, I'm doing this. Yeah. And I put an intention into something and then you just do it. What were the words that you used? Mm. Oh man. On the hike, right? Like, uh, yeah, exactly. The three words. <sighs> yeah. God, they, I know. they were really, I thought you had them write, written down right there. No, no I don't. That I, ha- page, I right? have some words written down, but I mean, I don't remember what I said on that hike. That's the problem <laughs> with talking before you record it. No, but. I mean, just now you just said it in the podcast. Oh. Um, Intention. Man, it really made a big impact. Yeah, dang it. It's, it I lost felt like it. it was the main topic. That we well, it is on. the topic, is bringing that intention to to being honest with who you are, you know? Um, I don't have those words written down, but <laughs> but it is. It's that in, intentionally being present to experiencing joy in your everyday life. I know, man. We talked about that today on our run. And I, it was interesting because my thought is, where I go to when you say that is, we have about 28,000 days of life, you know, average or, or whatever. You, you get about twenty-five to 30,000 days. And when I think about it like that, I'm like, man, holy shit, I need to live today. It, it it you you had a different thought it it like well it the scale the scale of it to to the way I think is like is like that's a lot of days not that I'm putting off my current days but like I go like how many more like 
dope things am I going to do in those days? And uh, when you are think they about the up? aggregate of what's left, it makes me think yeah. of today is one of those days, and mm-hmm. all I have is right now, yeah. today. Which I think that's what you're getting at. It is, is what I'm getting at. All we have is the moment. Right yeah, now. yeah. I mean, my the way that I have to trick myself into thinking it is just saying like, yeah, I, I have these days, and I guess it's good to know the average, but the only one that's guaranteed, actually the only minute that's guaranteed, you know, is, is now. Um, and it could be less than a minute, man. I lost a friend over the holidays, a, a good friend. Um, this really good guy, Justin, uh, who went into cardiac arrest, you know, well, he was, he was, um, in a conversation with his mom on the phone and, and he went brain dead. They didn't get oxygen to him for like 28 minutes cause where he lives in Oregon and, and they had to pull the plug. Um, and, Man, what a loss for like a, a young guy in his mid thirties. That's a great guy that that um, became a good arborist and was just a really thoughtful dude. Anyways, the point being is like I've got an average amount of time, but really all I have guaranteed is right now. And I think of people that die young, like Matt Gunn as well. And I go like Matt was a guy who embodied it because. He, he always seemed, he was always moving to the beat of his own drum, you know, and I, and I know he had his own struggles, but you could see that he was pretty good at like moving to the beat of his own drum. And, and when I see people go down early like that, I go, nah, the only thing we have is now, you know, it's right now. Yeah. And, you know, now might lead to later, but if I only really am guaranteed now, then fuck at like 36, I better like change my tone, dude. Like I better embrace the side of me that I've always loved, the side that loves the now. And I better like work on that more than this other bullshit side of me that like loves to not love himself and loves to keep himself down and loves to self strip opportunities from himself. You know, like that's, that's, that's why I have to shorten the timeline because if I don't, I go one day I'm going to get to be that person when really the reminder for me is, is that like, it just has to start now because fuck, I could have a heart attack today. You know, I mean, you never know. Well, and you, you were saying basically not beating yourself up. I think you've, man, you found a really good balance right now for yourself for working on that movement specifically day to day that gives you of all the time that I've known you mentally, you're in the best spot that I've ever seen in you. Yeah. And I think and you're also the most consistent, maybe, I don't know that, that Mm. I've been cognizant of, of moving every day. Yeah. Running wise. Um, yeah, for certain, you know, I think, yeah. I think for better or for worse right now, and it's for better, is I am in a spot where my current, you know, one of my current goals in addition to this daily running, and I do have some races I'm working towards to kind of, you know, uh, races show me if I've put in the work prior, you know, and so that's what I like about it. They give me a little confidence boost saying like, dude, you put in the effort, man, like, and, and it showed here. And that daily meditation, though, I really, that's what I'm tricking myself into doing. And, yeah, I thank you for saying that because I think I'm doing a good job now. But even in that now, 
Um, I'm just doing a better job with what I have and had when I wasn't doing a good job. I still have these like same thoughts of like, dude, you are a fucking idiot for sure. Like, just knock it off. Or like, dude, really, what's the point, man? You know, and they sound like simple words, but they're very powerful to people that talk negatively to themselves. And I know that you understand it and all of us understand it. They're still there. But I kind of have decided just like when you talk yourself through your next day, you're going to get up, have breakfast, have a little time there. Then you're going to bust your ass all day. You're going to come home exhausted. I I just have said like this time for as long as I can. And damn it, I'm going like further than I ever went before. I'm going to like reset my days every day just like you do. But I'm keeping it to the shit I want to. I'm not coming home exhausted from the van shop. I'm not. I got other shit going on. I'm not going to go for a run, but I'm just saying like coming home exhausted leads to a tired next morning. And like right now I'm resetting day by day and going like, dude, it might be the only way that you can, you can stay feeling comfortable in your own skin is putting in the real work to say, Hey, I know how you feel. You feel like shit, but guess what, dude? Lace them shoes up. You're going out for 10 miles, you know? You're not going to listen to the negative demons. You're going to just put in the work. Well, I listen to them. I can still hear them, but... No, um, you can still hear them, but you're not listening to them. Yeah, well, I'm not letting them run the controls in my head, (laughs) you know? Uh, And sometimes they do. And the other thing that I'd, 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 I'd have to steal myself to is to say, like, hey, when they do, like... It's time to like kick them out of the control room. You don't let them fucking go buck wild until they fall asleep, which is what I normally do. And then a day and a half later, the next day later, or two weeks later, I go like, oh, I'm having a good day. This is a good run. I don't want to waste two weeks like that. I'm going to say like, dude, you snuck in here, motherfucker. You're not allowed in here anymore, <laughs> you know? And it's not, it, that's what I have to, rem- it's even the reminding of that part. Hey, you're going to have to be on it today, dude. Because you're going to try and talk bullshit to yourself. And if you're not on it, it's going to get the best of you. And I guess that's the power that I've come into a little bit. And there'll be, there, there are hard times day by day, like I'm saying, is, is just like, hey, it's not realizing the voice is there. It's committing to say, like, it's committing to say, hey, dude, you're not the only fucking one in control. And guess what, man? Like, I'm not having that. I don't know. Does that make sense? A little bit. It makes bit? total sense. It's inspiring, man. I'm like, yeah, I want to go do that. And that's the the problem for me has been that I haven't. I know what I need to do. I just don't feel like I have the energy to do it right now in life. Uh, which you know maybe add things ebbs and ebb and flow. Yeah. But for what you're saying, it makes total sense. Well, man. the the it's only the thing way to do it. The only thing I'll say to you is like how you're saying that feels like to you. That's how it felt to me many times in my life. You know what I'm saying? And I'm almost saying just from like, my way is not the way. But I think there is something in these cycles and how they happen in humans' minds. And I'm saying like, I hear what you're saying, dude. I, I know. it's just, You just have to... You, you have, have to live to it yourself. It. You just yeah. have to do it. You but just you, have to get started. But you also have I to say. live it. You also live it yourself. So it's your own journey through a tunnel that is uniquely yours and... Yeah, even if somebody has a pickaxe that might, you know, chisel the stone that you're in and get you to where you want to be, um, it might not be 
your pickaxe. It might not be the same one. So yeah, it's all, I guess it's all relative in the end. Relativity, baby. Who are a couple folks in your life that, um, that inspired you like with the outdoors and, and maybe it was just you, although I kind of doubt it was. And so, you know, was there a friend in your childhood, a childhood mentor, like has it been somebody in adulthood and, and depending on what you have, like, like I said, just one or maybe two, but are, are there people that float to the top of your mind when, you know, you take a minute to react uh, or reflect on this outdoor life that you've had? There's a couple of, couple of people that come to mind. One, uh, Jim Knight is a, uh, a legend in Utah trail running and also climbing legend has set so many routes, uh, climbing, um, in, in Utah and also, uh, you know, held an FKT on the John Muir trail, uh, just an ultra running legend has done Wasatch more than 20 times, uh, completed it more than 20 times. So he, how old is this dude, man? <laughs> and, and you knew this guy? Yes. Yeah, st- yeah, st- and still know him? Still know him. Yeah. Man. Okay. Yeah. He's a, he's a great guy. Um, he actually is the one that came up with the black diamond logo. So the black, the black diamond, the corporate logo, you know, wow. the two black diamonds, uh, over each other, uh, uh, double black diamond. And then also came up with the Ragnar trail logo. Hmm. So yeah, Interesting he's, a, he's an I've artist. Never heard. Okay. He, he's, he teaches yoga every year at the Ragnar trail Zion race. Uh, hmm. So yeah. Anyways, Jim's a, Jim's a character. He's who, in, uh, invited me to pace him at Wasatch and, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if he knows, but it changed my life just in facilitating that experience. Yeah. Uh, coming over that ridge uh, that we were talking about earlier uh, at, at a sunrise. So Jim comes to mind. Um, and I respect him a lot for what he has done. Yeah. Um, and also for being a good, kind person. So I, I don't think I can respect somebody for the things that they've done if they're, if they're not those those other things. Uh, and another one, man, we're talking about good people. Uh, Matt Gunn. Yeah. He's about as good of a person as I have ever met in life. Uh, and he's another one that comes to mind. I mean, there are a lot of things about Matt that were amazingly beautiful and what he could do and create and inspire in other people and, uh, believe in himself to go create, man, I just wish there were some things that stumbling blocks that he had for himself that he didn't have, you know? Um, but man, what a great guy. And what, what an inspiration to me on so many levels on how to be a great guy and and do amazing things and move and introduce people to, to the beauty of running through the mountains and the deserts. Yeah. 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 You said there was a story about Moab that you wanted to tell. Mm. Oh yeah. Moab 240. Okay. Well, that relates to what we talked about already, which, which was this thinking, reacting, adapting. And I explained the story of the water belt on my hip and I don't know, um, maybe we'll splice that together, but who knows? Um, the, the idea with that was when I was having that idea, I was, I was also thinking back to, and I'm sure there's many more moments in different ways that you were having this happen. But while we were out, I was pacing you in the Moab 240, a 240 mile race. And do you remember the mileage I paced you from? was later in the event. I think it was like mile 2,000, 
<laughs> no, ish for real. Do you remember? It's probably 180s, 190s, I think. Yeah, okay. And um, it's kind of late afternoon, early evening when we start and darkness falls and the stars are out. And soon we're like making our way up into the LaSalle's there, right? Past these crazy kick-ass aspen trees that were like so big in diameter, bigger than I've ever seen. But you're like way in to a race. And I'm here like just kind of like tucking in front of you a bit and I'm kind of like teasing out like okay this is before we started climbing but like while we were on the flats yet I'm just teasing out like okay he's running if I speed up oh now he's not right on me so I slow down like I'm doing this thing where like I'm just trying to feel out where you have the best motivation without asking you and that's like working but then we get into the mountains you know and and you're deep in this race like how many hours would that have been about you think it was three days in yeah three days in and, and uh, we're climbing up and, you know, you're you're like, you're like, OK, I'm putting music in. And then you're <laughs> like, and then like 15 minutes later, you know, it'd be like, it'd be like, be like, dude, Metallica's great right now. You know, um, and no, like, it was rage. Against rage. The it was machine. rage. It was rage against a machine. Yeah. Rage is great right now. And then like 15 minutes later. You'd be like, no music. And it's like dark out. I'm leading you like through the forest. And but you're just like saying these things, no music, like earbuds are out, you know? And then 10 minutes later, you're like, tell some stories, you know? <laughs> and, and this is a, a perfect uh, description of what's going on, yeah, folks. It is. He's, and he's, he's just he's, 10 minutes go by with very slow walking. And, and then I say, no music, 10 minutes go by very slow walking. And I say, tell a story. Yeah. This is what running 200 no, this, miles looks this like. This is a thing. And what's <laughs> happening there though, was this, this thing, this thinking, reacting and adapting and, and, I, the reason I wanted to get into it and pick your brain on that mentality of a late 200-mile athlete such as yourself is those lessons I love. Like like this idea of, like, I'm making the call now, no music, you know? Like, you're doing exactly what it takes as you're about—I just— I just can't have music anymore, and it's off, and now I can make it another mile. I got to hear a story right now. Alex, talk. I don't know what to, I don't know what to, just tell me a story, you know? And then you're like, I can make it another two miles. Like that kind of thinking, reacting and implementing is like such valuable. Le- they're funny at the time, but they're also just valuable lessons that that's what I get out of movement is like, I come back into the regular world and I'm like, Oh, I can play, I can play this game a little better. You know, like I can, I can be a bit more on the ball and it's, it's moments like that that I take out. But um, I'm interested to hear because that's me watching you and then dealing with my own, you know, things of implementing and not doing it. But like, yeah, how is that in your mind? Is it is it close to accurate when I'm like music it's off? Spot on. Yeah. Dude. I'm like, <laughs> you know, listening to Rage Against the Machine on, you know, just repeat. It's probably six songs. And it's just so that my mind can go to a place of just focus and listen to the music and keep moving. And then it gets to the point to where I can't take it anymore. <laughs> Turn it off. Right. And, but it's, it, there was no thought of like, maybe I shouldn't listen to music anymore. Maybe I'm get had enough of this. It's, it's just instantly, I can't take it. I have to turn it off. So yeah, that's you, you very accurately described of what it's going through. Yeah. What? And, and, 
when, when it's like when you're driving and you have a co-pilot and you can't stay awake and you need them to talk to you and they can't come up with anything to say. Yeah. It's like when you're running a big long race and you're, and your pacer can't think of a story to tell. Ooh, that's so <laughs> annoying. Pretty faux pas on the pacers. Your out whole there. job. Right yeah. Now yeah. Yeah. Is to do whatever I need. Yeah. And I need a story. To me, that stuff is so cool. It's those reaction points. Like I just, it's, you know, I had it when I was coming into aid stations at that superior hundred miler this fall, you know, later in the race, when I come in, I'm just like, yeah, it's going good, babe. Everything's all right. I need this, 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 this. And I get hooked up. She kind of gets in the zone too. And then I'm off moving. And like all those decisions I'm making, they're the right ones. Well, it comes from a long time of doing it. Yeah, but so much of it also just comes from doing in the first place and just and that's the life that's the lesson of an endurance sport sometimes to me that teaches me is like dude it is just one foot in front of the other it's like you want to do this like just take the step you want to put a race on you want to start a podcast like just take the first step and if you really need to put the pressure on yourself like reach out to somebody and let somebody know what you're doing and and continue to take these steps and most of the time you know they're going to be the right moves. And the ones that are mistakes, you know, it's so simple in running. Ah, fuck. I, I should have told her I didn't want this flavored gels anymore or something. Like, you learn from that and you move on. It's, it didn't cost you anything. You just go, up oh, next time. I got to tell her, like, hey, just the Apple ones. And, and they directly apply to my everyday life, too, of like, dude, if you act like that, like you do when you're racing, when you do when you're moving, when you are kind of really ha- synced up with your physical body and the surroundings and your mind is working smoothly and you're just being honest with yourself, life is pretty enjoyable, you know? Um, yeah, that's a gift to me in the, that comes from movement. That's what I've been doing on these morning runs. It's just... I go out, I move, the first two miles are cold, I start sweating. At some point during the run, a couple of birds chirp or something on a different turn, you know, or I turn this way and like the footing's sweet. And I go, man, pretty good life. (laughs) And that takes me through the day, you know? Yeah. So, anywho, I kind of think let's, wrap it dude with whatever we got you know i'm happy you joined me on the first episode i'm very interested to listen back to it because i'm such a self-obsessor that i'm going like was this just complete trash or did we have something but i think there's a sound bite or two in yeah, there. yeah. I'm, i am super regardless of that and that's the thing I, i'm super happy we communicated with each other and it's just another um another day in our book together with a good run hike and hanging out and exploring each other a little bit. And I hope that it prompts us to continue exploring this off the microphone. And what I really hope is that anybody that makes it through this damn thing, that it prompts you to explore yourself and those around you, because that's true joy. When I say the birds chirped, dude, they chirped at me, you know, like when I'm communicating, I'm communicating with you. Like it's all about interacting. Yeah, get out and touch somebody. (laughs) In any way that's acceptable in today's society. 
So, all right, folks. Hey, thanks for tuning in. If you did, this is the Meaning of Movement podcast. How'd that sound? That sound professional? <laughs> the Meaning of Movement podcast. Yeah, do another one. The Meaning of Movement podcast. Welcome to the Meaning of Movement podcast. Welcome to the Meaning of Movement podcast. Hey, y'all, thanks for tuning in. This is Alex, and again, this is The Meaning of Movement. Good morning. Today is The Meaning of Movement podcast. Hey, thanks for bringing me in, Steve. I just really want to say thank you. It is a podcast, and we're happy to be here. Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to The Meaning of Movement podcast bi-weekly. Today, Alex Docta and Steve Adderhold discuss more on The Meaning of Movement podcast. I like it. Let's end it. (laughs) All right. There you have it. My first guest, Steve Adderholt, on the first episode of the Meaning of Movement podcast. That was a ton of fun. I'm super happy to get this out. I have procrastinated just a little bit on it. Um, I'm always scared to start, you know, throw the first little uh, stone and watch the ripple go but once you let it go um, it's time to keep on moving and that's what uh, movers do best so i've got a couple more episodes recorded looking forward to getting those out Uh, please stick with me here it's going to be a fun evolution looking to get better as an interviewer and really looking to hear some cool stories like we heard today and uh, more from future guests um, best thing you can do, I don't have any sponsors, is just to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to. That'll uh, let me know that you guys are interested and we'll keep it going. Uh, but for now, thanks for coming out, listening to the Meaning of Movement podcast. Until next time, keep moving, be present.